Hello, lovely listener. Welcome to Words in Progress, an ongoing conversation between two people who write for a living and for pleasure. Every week we meet up to chat about what we've learned and share our top tips. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Christine Cawthorne and I run a company called Cruxstar. And I'm Robert Mills, founder of Both World Content. We're currently working together on a website project where I'm working as a content designer and Christine is doing the content strategy. In this series, we'll talk through the challenges that pop up and how we get through them. Hello, and welcome back to the Words in Progress podcast. Good morning, Christine. How are you? Hello, Rob. I am very well, thank you. How are you? Good to hear it. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thank you. We've had another productive week on the project. Lots to share. Should we dive straight in? What's been keeping you busy since we last caught up? Yeah, it has been really busy, actually. I was thinking about this. It all suddenly seems to have mushroomed, hasn't it? There's suddenly loads of stuff in progress, loads of conversations happening. So this, over the last week, I showed the content prioritization plan to our product owner. So that's the way of prioritizing all of the content in the backlog. So it's a list of rules or questions to ask of the content that helps you look at whether something needs to be worked on straight away or whether it can wait. So does it have a, an urgency to it? Does Has someone very high up in the organization asked for it or have a lot of users been in touch about um, this information? I showed that to the product owner. That's been good. That's um, that's going through refinement, if you like. So we're going to talk about that today. And we are also going to do a bit of refinement on that content proposition, which I've been talking about every week because uh, we've asked for some people to help us with it. And um, so we've asked some people around the organization to get involved and kind of show us content to see uh, whether the proposition will work. So I think there's a bit of work to do around there. One thing that I don't know a great deal about is what content types they have. So in what instances do they create content? And what are the edge cases? What are the stress cases? So what might get brought to this proposition and then the proposition can't answer it? So I'm interested in those pieces of content or or situations where this won't work so that we can make sure that it does work. We can make some changes to it. And then I started thinking about the content workflow. So that is how the content gets created in the organization. And I'm going to ask you for help with this because you have created some content in the organization. How do decisions get made about what content gets started? Who does it go to? Who writes it? How many amends rounds does it go through? All of that sort of stuff. So I want to map it as is, and then we can look at places where we can improve those processes. So I'm really... And this is going to sound sarcastic and not genuine, but it really is genuine. I absolutely love workflows. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You and, can so, <laughs> and so I'm really pleased that you can ask me to be part of that because I know that when you and I spoke to somebody in the team that we're working with about the CMS, that kind of we started talking about workflows as part of that conversation. And, and I kind of paused it because we knew it was coming up as a more significant piece of work. But even in like when I've been presenting and show and tells throughout the project, some of the feedback or questions have been around, okay, if we're creating that type of content on that page, that could produce an issue around resourcing to maintain that page. And so actually thinking about how we incorporate that into the workflow, you know, the governance as well. So I'm excited that we're going to get to work together on that and actually start joining up some of these conversations 
and we probably get to do a diagram. Yeah, I have actually started a little diagram. Nice. Uh, you just made me think then actually about how workflows are not just about what the process is of creating that content, but how what the content it is can also change that workflow. Ooh, you're providing value already. <laughs> My work here is, well, it's absolutely not done. We barely <laughs> you haven't even started. There we go. Glad to have helped. You've definitely had a, a busy week. I, I love seeing the, uh, not just like through talking about it weekly with you when we record these episodes, but working with you in between the episodes, how the content prioritization framework and the proposition, how it's all progressing and being tested and refined and iterated. And it's it's been great to see that process happen. So I, I like the... I like the weekly updates that you're giving on all of that. It's good doing this podcast because I think, oh no, I can't say the same thing again. I better do some work on it. It's been, <laughs> it's been really useful. <laughs> okay, tell us about you. What have you been up to? So we had a show until last week. Not a huge amount to kind of talk about with that, but I just find them, I find them useful for being able to take a moment to kind of stop and think about what we've done and why and how. So as I mentioned, I created a piece of content. And I think last time we recorded, I'd seen some of the feedback, but nothing in detail and and more testing was still to take place. Now I've seen everything. And it's been really, it's a huge credit to the user researcher who's been doing the content testing, how they are sharing the outcomes of the testing, because there's a few different methods for that. There's some of the content was in, well, there was content in a Google Doc and then there was like the uh, test page in the CMS. So two versions of the same content. And the Google Doc has now got comments on from the uh, interview sessions. But also there's a mirror board which summarizes the themes and the topics in the, in the feedback. And then you and I had a session with uh, the user researcher as well to go through the feedback, but also we were given tasks. So it was a lot more more workshoppy, I suppose, and collaborative. And we were really digging into like an individual interview ourselves, weren't we? And trying to find, we had a couple of questions to answer around language and sort of motivations and blockers and things. So that was really great to actually not be just told these are the outcomes, but kind of find some of the outcomes yourself and let's talk about it and what themes and patterns that we found. So there have been several methods for how the outcomes of the testing have been shared. And I think that's I feel like that's given me a much fuller picture and understanding of the results of the testing. And so, yeah, that's how I've been spending a lot of my time in the last week and starting to think about the impact that those outcomes have on the content in terms of, I've already got some thoughts around actually it needs, the structure needs to change slightly. And that's largely due to the limitations of the CMS, but also due to some of the feedback. And as we suspected, and now we've proved, so we've turned those assumptions into knowledge some of the the issues around language and that's like as detailed as specific words but also broader sentences and kind of and things like that with the language so there's some yeah some refinement to make there as well I think the doing the testing on the content and then you're right being involved in the analysis of that those sessions gives you that really deep understanding so that when you have conversations about the content internally you're able to say oh yes, we asked that question or yeah, we've seen four people use that piece of content and actually that issue or that word that you're worried about using actually hasn't been a problem. Or yes, you're right, we have 
we have earmarked this. We're not sure about that bit yet. We're going to do some more testing. Or if we were to describe it in another way, how would we do it? So I think the being involved in that analysis was really useful and also really great to see people's level of knowledge when they come to the content initially. So we had an assumption that people would come to this content with already quite a clear idea of what it was that they wanted to do. And actually, of all the interviews we've seen, there hasn't been anyone who was like, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. Oh, no, sorry, I, I, I am mistaken. There was one person who, who knew about the process, but all the others had started with a, a Google search and in theory and had come here. And so they were much less familiar with certain bits of language. They didn't know what the process would be. They didn't know all of the organizations that were involved. And so that has led to some really interesting insights and then plans for the content because we've decided to focus it on those people who are very early stage in this process. And the ones that do know, actually, they don't need to come here. They already know the thing that they're trying to do, they can go straight there. So that's been useful as well to help us make good decisions. Yeah, definitely. And I think the process working with the user researchers being beneficial on both sides, because for me, I get to feed into the discussion guide and the questions that are being used during testing. And then I get to be part of the analysis and summarizing of the outcomes of the testing. And again, I also get to see all the details in, in the different forms that they're presented. But from the user researcher side, they're able to understand not only what the content is, but why the content is the way that it is. So I talked to the Google Doc and I said, I've got a concern about this word. Or I've got a concern about that. I'd like to know about this. I've done this because of that. That's there because of this. And kind of explaining that so that because they're the person talking through that content with the user. So for them to have that understanding of why we've settled on on this particular structure and language and why we've included that or not included that. I think that's really important for them. And it wouldn't really be a problem, I don't think, if they had to say to the user, oh, I'll need to I need to check that and, and come back to you. But I mean, being able to just keep the session going without those moments and, and actually answer any questions and understand, it's just better for them, isn't it, to, to understand what they're talking through and testing. The thing that I found interesting about what you just said was that we are testing content with users and often we work on projects where we are testing a service or a transaction. So the user researcher is focused on how well can people get through this flow of pages? Do they know where to add information? Can they click the buttons, etc.? So they're going through several pages, whereas here we are testing how well people understand the content. So it makes sense for the user researcher to be very involved in each of those bits of detail around what does that word mean? Why have we chosen that? What I'm interested to see if people read through this bullet point list or they skip over it. So I think that's an interesting detail about this project is that it is very much the content is at the forefront of what we're interested in when we're testing. We're not necessarily making transactions and journeys. We're making information more usable. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting about that, everything was interesting about that. <laughs> well, you're doing it. About <laughs> <laughs> what you just said. But what's, what's interesting about that is as the project team, we're still having conversations about those 
wider user journeys. And actually that's ramped up in this last week and it's going to be a focus for next sprint. So it's, it's keeping the focus with the user on that piece of content and that testing process. But around that, there's still, okay, how does that fit into this journey or these, these journeys, plural, as, it, as it's looking to be, and thinking about that as well. So it's kind of happening in parallel, but the focus is on the, the content for the user at this stage. As ever, the content is providing the microcosm for the organization as a whole, all of the content stuff that we need to do. You're a center point around which we pivot. Pivot. <laughs> pivot. So I think it's worked out well on both sides. It's been incredibly collaborative. And one thing that we've come up against is this issue around translation. So I'm writing it in English. It's been translated in one other language. And the user researcher speaks that other language. So that's been, again, a huge benefit. And they've actually been testing in both languages. So that's been a really interesting, uh, I guess, experience for me to, to be part of that. But we've decided now that we're going we're gonna to take pair right into a whole new level. Can I this indulge? This is so amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> we're going to do some trio writing. Woohoo! So hopefully next time we record, certainly most definitely the time after, we will have done the trio writing and I can talk about how it went. But it's going to be myself, the user researcher, and a translator who is within the client side. So we're gonna, I'm not gonna write the English content in isolation and then it goes off to be translated. We're gonna have, we're gonna work on the English content together. And then at the same time, then we'll do the, the next language, which I'm very excited about. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna be just brilliant. We did have a fun conversation about what do you call pair writing with three people? Is yeah, we good? did. We thought third writing, that doesn't make sense. Thrice writing was just really <laughs> Thruple was immediately discounted. Thruple is never going anywhere near our <laughs> professional reputation. <laughs> <laughs> so we settled on trio writing. I'm confident it's going to work because it, the three of us have got a very clear role and reason for being part of that process. That's going to be great. I wonder if we might also try trio writing with you, the translator, and the subject matter expert um, yep. when it's on a subject that is new to us. Obviously, we've been working on a, on a particular piece of content, so you, you've got quite a lot of knowledge about it. And the translator also works at the organisation, so they will have quite a lot of knowledge. But, but when we start creating more content, I wonder if that might be another way to try it as well. Try. I just can't stop making triangle puns. No, I see what you did there, and I, I think I liked it. I mean, I probably need to spend a bit of time working on those. <laughs> it's gonna be fun and naturally i'll report back i can't wait that sounds so good so we also had an interest in retro and sprint planning yeah we did did. i really enjoy the retros it's a slightly different process to what i've experienced before where we all put our digital post-its into the mirror board of course and then the facilitator will group them by themes and then we vote on the themes and the three were the most votes are the ones we then talk about in more detail and that's been really interesting and there generally is a consensus around the ones we want to talk about but uh yeah i thought that was a nice way to kind of get all the thoughts down but then actually move the conversation to something a bit more focused and pragmatic and then we went into sprint planning which i know we're really keen to talk about because 
that was a little bit bumpy. It was a little bit bumpy. The retro was really nice. Everybody in the team really gets on, likes each other, respects each other's professionalism, laughs at each other's jokes. So there's a lot of good feeling in the team. Um, We're making progress. It, It feels good. So yeah, we had that retro one day and then the next day we went into sprint planning. So what are we going to do over the next couple of weeks? And suddenly we couldn't get consensus, even though everything up to this point has been absolutely fine. We know what we're doing. We're all really clear. We all agreed. Suddenly in sprint planning, we couldn't decide whether the content that we had created, we should add in the other users' needs. That's a good way of saying it. Into that piece of content, or we should continue that content through to the end of its journey. So do we make more content in the same journey for the same users, or do we add more users' needs into the original bit of content? So neither is wrong, but both have their plus and minus points. And we just couldn't, it wasn't even like we couldn't agree. We just couldn't decide. We, it was yeah. like we were overwhelmed. It wasn't like a negative conversation. There was no, like I said, there was no disagreement. And I think we kind of settled on, actually, we don't need to decide it right now. We just, we've, what we figured out is what we need to decide. And so we were like, right, let's catch up early next week and have another session, which we did. As you said, there, was, there wasn't really a right or a wrong. And it was like, if we do this, if we go down that route, the good stuff is that and the bad stuff or the risk is that and similarly with that route and so it was yeah it was a good discussion to kind of start thrashing out those different routes and and benefits and the risks but I think I'm glad that we didn't commit to any routes during that conversation I think it helped that we all kind of went away and then kind of regrouped and kind of thought about it with fresh minds because we were then able to reach that consensus Yeah, I felt like the team's goodwill carried us through because it became quite intense. We were, we all had different ways or different approaches to solve the issue we had, which was what do we do next? And so there are lots of things that we have in our planning that we want to do. So do we do this now? Do we do it later? I thought maybe the workflow, mapping that workflow process will help us decide what to do next but someone else felt that that was maybe a smaller piece of work it, it could be a bit distracting from actually doing the the work so you know you've got you're trying to fight your corner but you're also listening to because other people have different points of view so my way of solving the problem is not necessarily going to solve a problem for other people in the team or solve the problem in its entirety so that was quite interesting a, a good exercise in listening And then, yeah, I think the facilitator made the right choice to say, actually, let's pause this for now. We have five sprint goals. We don't need to make the definitive decision now. So we came back and had another still fairly intense discussion around it and came to consensus actually quite easily. We'd we'd listened, we'd digested, we came back. It, It seemed much easier on the second go. It definitely did, yeah. And I think we've agreed to do a bit more research and then make some decisions around the more, around like which routes specifically will go based on the outcomes of that research. It's almost like we've taken a step back in order to be able to take more steps forward rather than just keeping going forward and then having to backtrack. Yeah. 
Did that make any sense at all? It definitely did to me. Great. <laughs> Not the only one here. For now. Felt like maybe I was like straying into like describing snakes and ladders or something ridiculous. <laughs> so I think that was the right decision to be like, actually, let's we need more information to make a decision. And it's okay for the task or the goal to be to get that information. Yeah. Yeah, the outcome is learning. I also think that's quite a brave choice because you can feel pressured into making progress. I'm saying progress with inverted commas to keep going forward and to be able to say, actually, we need more information. We need to spend time doing something that we've already done, but to learn more. I think that takes strength to to be able to say that and for the team to see what you mean, see why and agree to it. So I I felt like that was a a really um, important team bonding experience that we went through. It was bumpy, but actually we were all trying to figure out the same thing. We weren't trying to shout over each other. Yeah, it was very respectful and, and productive. And on my side with the content, I need to be making decisions around like how much content to create. Do these different user groups need different content? Or where are the overlaps and their journeys? And where are they different? And I didn't have those answers on that first conversation because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the information. And so being able to get that information will give me more confidence when I'm making decisions. It's messy, isn't it, when you're trying to figure this stuff out? So you, like you say, snakes and laddering all over the place, forwards, backwards. <laughs> and to be able to say, I don't know, certainly in a sprint planning session, also, I think it can be difficult if you either always know that's kind of your thing. Hey, I always have done lots of prep or maybe you're caught off guard or maybe you're just a bit tired that day. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why you might not be, why you might not have the information to hand aside from genuinely not having the information. <laughs> so I think that was, it felt like a safe place to be able to say, oh, look, I don't know. I can come back to you. There's a lot of trust in the team. And to be in a team where maybe there's less trust, that becomes more and more difficult, if that makes sense. If you you need to feel that you can be open, otherwise you're barreling forwards, but perhaps you're not confident with what you're doing, or you don't really know what's expected of you, or you're, I don't know, somebody in the team is new perhaps and doesn't have the background to the project that you have. And so you're spending a lot of time explaining stuff to them. In the meantime, you're not doing as much work of your own work, perhaps that you that you wanted or you need to do. So there's all these parts to a project that are moving all the time that can be difficult to manage. There was another thing that happened this week that I also thought was interesting to mention. And so a very senior person got in touch and asked us to add something into our work. So we've got the scope already. We know what it is that we're doing on the whole. When we plan our sprints, we're breaking that big goal down into smaller goals. But they came along and they said, oh, I love what you're doing. I saw it in show and tell. And what you're working on aligns with something else that I have been asked to do by a bigger organization can you help me do it and uh, and I was in the conversation and I thought oh no scope creep I thought oh no and they're really senior 
how do you say no to a senior person? And then I thought, well, I'll just listen a little bit more to see what they actually want. And it turned out that the project that they're talking about actually really does align with the project that we're working on, a topic. And so they wanted a bit of advice. How do they manage their topic, their their project? And also, can it align with ours? So what we said was, we weighed it up. We said, this is a really senior person. If we get them on side and help them, they will, in return, they will be able to spread the news of what we're doing. So they'll be talking about our project around the organisation, building goodwill for us. And we always need senior level support. So that's, uh, that's definitely a reason to help this person. A reason why you might not want to do that. A reason why you might be a bit more resistant to taking on an extra part of a project is, is the, this scope creep. So do we know what it is that they want? Does it align with what we're trying to do? Do we need more resource? So do we need some software? Do we need more people? Do we need more time so that we can do this part of the project justice? So what we decided was that this person's request, we would be able to, to do a bit of it. So we said, yes, however, we won't be able to do X, Y, and Z because we don't have enough people in the team. So we were very explicit and said, let's manage your expectations. We would love to help. Here's how we can help. Here's how we can't help. How does that sound? And they said, that sounds absolutely great. Also, I can get you some more money if we need to do this. So we said, okay, this has worked out well. But the... um I found that quite an interesting experience. If someone senior likes what you're doing and wants to be involved, which can be a great opportunity for you to to get that support, but also, oh, hang on, we can't let that distract us from the from the thing that we're trying to do. It's a brilliant example of there's always unexpected things on projects, right? As you say, like scope creep. And sometimes it's something seems like a good idea at the time. When you start doing it, it stops making sense or something takes longer than you expect. There's all these things that you just can't really predict and control. And so you often have to deviate, reassess, realign, buzzword bingo, <laughs> and all those things. And so I think this is a really good example of like, active listening, being able to put into practice like saying no or saying yes, but, which is, which is also important. And then actually thinking about, well, yeah, that does make sense. It does align. It's a good idea for us to kind of be connecting these things. But the impact of that is, if there's not always more money or more time, sometimes you have to compromise on other areas. And so having those really open and frank discussions can be uncomfortable and awkward, especially when it's something that you do really want to do or the intentions from the person asking are really positive and good. As you say, there's nothing better than stakeholders and people wanting to be involved and seeing the value in what you're doing over there and kind of wanting that for themselves. And so that can be really hard when you're then maybe saying, actually, <laughs> I think the way you, you know, the way you described it and what I've seen in like the last week around that circumstance was really positive and well-managed and productive and encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Rob. So we're always learning stuff. Tell us what you learned over the last week. Okay. I learned that it's important to allow enough time to consume and understand research outcomes. 
I think, I mean, I, I kind of already knew that, especially when I worked in audience research in the BBC. Like, I had to fully understand that information before I took it out to other people across the organization. So as per previous weeks, it's, it's a bit of a relearning, I suppose, which is not a bad thing. Just, I felt like, because there was a lot of, there were transcripts and there were notes on Google Docs and there were meetings and there was a mirror board. It's a lot of information and it all served a clear purpose and collectively it gave such a full picture of the user research outcomes. But I really needed to have the luxury of time to go through that information to really comprehend it and digest it. I enjoyed having the collaborative session with yourself and the, the user researcher. But I also enjoyed being able to just kind of burrow away and read through the transcripts and make my own notes on themes and languages and, and motivations and blockers and challenges and things like that. And the same with being able to really take time to look at the notes on the Google Doc in relation to specific parts of the content individually, but also like, again, collectively across this group of interviews that were done and the, the entire round of testing, being able to see again, the themes across those. So that was, that was a, a good lesson this week to kind of give yourself the time to do that, because actually, I think it'll save time in future sprints and have a positive impact on the work in future sprints. And then I suppose the other thing I've relearned is that it really does pay to work in the open. Be transparent, share your workings, share your thinking, invite others into the process. And part of that is what we said around being able to, by working out in the open, that includes actually being able to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure, or can I come back to you, or I need more information to give an answer to that. I think that all kind of links together, just that transparency across the entire project and everybody working in that way. I'm going on and on here, but my third, and I'll make this my final learning is uh, kind of what I just alluded to. It's okay not to know everything and not feel pressure to like commit to things there and then in the moment. So it's similarly taking the time you need to digest information and comprehend it, taking the time you need to find information to make decisions with confidence and having reasonable rationale behind those decisions. You've made me think of a couple of things there. The first one around when you are taking time to digest those research outcomes and then work in the open it made me think of a book club I don't know if you've ever been to a book club but you all read the same book and then you go and talk about it and what I always enjoy about a book club is that you might say something that you feel is quite obvious oh the main guy is a bit horrible isn't he and someone else will say oh well actually I thought that he was a bit misunderstood because when he talks about his family, his upbringing, blah, 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 someone else has a has a different interpretation. And then someone else comes in and says, oh, no, I just thought he was a, a real piece of work. So then you have people talking about their thought processes or what they've understood based on their view of the world. And I, that's that's a really good thing when you can articulate those things out loud and you can see what other people see. Sort of made me think of a book club, even though it's at work. The User Research Outcome Club. I'd join that club. We're in it. <laughs> we are it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And it's about, I think, keeping an open mind about those different perspectives. As you say, everybody's got their own experience of the world and their own mental models and their own expectations and biases that they bring into everything that we do and actually 
it's being challenged in a productive way, in a positive way, is healthy and keeping your mind open to, okay, yeah, I thought this, but actually I totally, I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. And you can change your mind. Yeah. It's not a, a mark of weakness to change your mind. The other no. thing that you made me think then when you were saying it's okay not to know everything was that sometimes that is around knowing yourself and what you are like. So are you someone who likes to prepare before a meeting or are you okay to go in and speak off the cuff? What's your preference for meetings? Do you want to have the agenda set out beforehand? Are you free and easy? Do you think about stuff on your own or do you like to talk about things with other people to help you make up your mind? So if you can know yourself, then that can also give you the confidence to be able to say, oh, look, I can't make this decision now because I need some time to reflect or, hey, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Different people work differently and also the same people work differently at different times. So if you are able to think about how you like to work when you feel at your best, that can also help with saying those things out loud to other people. You can you can feel like you have to give an answer straight away, don't you, if someone asks you something. But saying, yep, let me get back to you on that. I just don't know right now is fine. More than fine. And I've struggled with that a lot in the past and the recent past as well, in terms of being in meetings and not saying much. Now, I'd rather be silent than say something for the sake of it. And I'm confident enough to say something if I feel like I've got something to say or to ask. But there, I've been in meetings where the value for me is just being in listening and digesting and processing and making notes. And I'm certainly aware I've sat through an entire meeting and I've not said anything. And so it's like, oh, I've not, I've not contributed, but I've got what I need from that meeting to go away and then be able to contribute. But there's this, it kind of links back to a point, I think it might have been in, in the last episode around presenteeism and this need to create and be showing all the time. Yeah, it is hard. I think it does take confidence. So um, we're probably like hurtling towards the time that we should be wrapping up, but there's a couple of things I know we're keen to cover. So is there anything specific you want to share about what you've learned this week? Yeah, there is something I feel that I've learned this week, and it's about explaining what you do in different ways to different people. So when you're talking to, to different people who have different job roles in the organization and you're, you're trying to tell them what it is that you're doing, or perhaps you're trying to get some information from them, it can be helpful to be able to explain what you're doing in slightly different ways that either matches their job so or tells them how it will affect their work. Or quite often, it includes telling them why you're doing something. So making sure that you've told them what the problem is. Often we start and we go in and we say, right, well, we're doing this, we're writing some new content, here's how we're doing it, blah, blah, blah. But we've missed out the why. What's the problem? Why are we here in the first place? So to other people, particularly when you go in as a contractor, your reason for being there can be unclear to them. They haven't been involved in identifying the problem maybe, or they certainly weren't involved in the procurement. So you just appear to them and they're not really sure what your remit is. So if you can explain to people why you're doing something, what your vision is, how it is useful to them or how what you're doing may have an impact on their work, but also do it in 
different ways. So maybe you have an analogy that you use. Maybe you've got a plain English way of saying it. Maybe you've got a buzzword bingo way of saying it. But try try different ways. If you feel that someone isn't understanding what it is that you're saying or what your role is or why you're asking them certain things, don't keep saying it in the same way. Try something else because it may be that they're new to the organization. It may be that they've only ever worked in that team. Maybe they don't know some of the stuff that you're talking about, or probably they know loads and you don't know some of the background. Um, So I think being able to talk about your role, maybe even tell them what you've done in a different organization, but help them understand why you're there, what you're asking for, what you're hoping to get to as a team. I think that's helpful and trying to do it in a way that makes sense to the person you're telling, not not just your viewpoint. What's my learning this week? Love it because we so much of the work that we do is around understanding your audience as in the external audience, users, customers, etc. And understanding their language and their motivations and what they care about. And actually all of those all of that thinking and those methods and those principles apply internally. And I'm seeing that more and more around working with clients on their internal communications and and applying those principles internally. Yeah, yeah, perfect way of describing it. I feel like that learning was a top tip, but I know that you've also got another top tip up your sleeve. Not another top tip for you. They are quite baggy sleeves, so you're right. There, are, there may be a few tips in there. Take them out. Take them out. So the top tip I have for you this week is the idea that the more you learn or the longer you work on a project, the more complicated it gets. So my little tip for you this week to help you manage the increasing complexity is to write your high-level tasks down. So I use post-it notes, other sticky notes are available, and I make sure that everything that I'm doing is related to those high-level tasks. So I will show you, even though it's a podcast, I have six sticky notes next to me. The first one says proposition. The second one says prioritization. The third one says workflow. The fourth one, I've deviated from my one word note here and I've said make templates for content types. The fifth is user journey flows. And my sixth is look at analytics. So everything that I will do for the content strategy is contained within those six post-it notes. So when I'm getting overwhelmed or I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, (laughs) which happens fairly frequently, I look at those post-its and I say, oh yeah, I'm doing this because it relates to the workflow, for example. And that's it. Absolutely brilliant tip simple to put into practice there's nothing i like more than when we're having chats you and i and you turn your screen to show me a post-it note and often i i can't see them uh, i get to see like little corners and things and it's not legible but i love how much they mean to you and how much you're willing to share them with me i can't speak i feel so seen i'm sorry <laughs> it's a it's a great tip and it's um on, on uh, another project, we've got a list of deliverables and quite quickly and easily those deliverables experience scope creep and they become bigger or different and they deviate. And, and so we're managing that in Trello. And so I'm finding on that project and keep going back to Trello and like, they're the deliverables, they're the things that, you know, we need to be focused on. And the other stuff can go into an icebox or into another post-it note or something. But yeah, having a way to 
keep that focus is important. And I love how simple but effective your method is. It was indeed a top tip. Thanks very much. Do love a post-it. Yeah. And now you've got more room in your sleeve. <laughs> Post-its. <laughs> on that note, on that post-it note, I think we may have come to an end. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as always. Likewise. Looking forward to hearing more next week. Can't wait. See you then. Bye-bye.